0: Hamlet is a tragedy, a tragedy of a prince driven mad by memory. The full title of the play is actually not Hamlet, but rather, The Tragical History of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. But for the way Jewish history functions, the story of our people can never be summarized as a tragical history. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 73, The End of Joshua and the Meaning of Memory. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Remember me, so says the ghost of Hamlet's murdered father to his son, the Prince of Denmark. Hamlet responds, remember thee, I, thou poor ghost, while memory holds a seat in this distracted globe. Remember thee, yea, from the table of my memory, I'll wipe away all trivial fond records, all saws of books, all forms, all pressures past, that youth and observation copied here and thy commandment all alone shall live within the book and volume of my brain, unmixed with baser matter. Yes, by heaven. Here, in Hamlet, we have an interesting description of memory. What does he mean by his memories holding a seat in this distracted globe? As the Shakespearean scholar Marjorie Garber notes, the word globe has several meanings. After all, remember that the play would have been performed in the Globe Theater in London but it refers first and foremost to one's head, to one's mind. And if we study carefully this passage, we see that Hamlet describes memory as a form of organizing the mind. Hamlet announces that now he will focus only on this memory of his father, whereas originally he had so much more on his mind. In the present moment, he will focus only on the ghost's instruction of remembrance and forget all that he read, all that he played, all that he saw. He will wipe away all trivial, fond records, all saws of books, all forms, all pressures past that youth and observation copied there. Only the commandment of remember me is going to be in Hamlet's head. But is this a good thing? We know what happens next. These unpleasant memories drive Hamlet to distraction and ultimately to death. There is a way of reading the play in which the central lesson is that remembering, at least remembering unpleasant subjects, is a mistake, that it is better to wipe these memories from our minds. As Marjorie Garber further points out, it was Friedrich Nietzsche who insisted that memory is the source of our sufferings. For this German thinker, animals were happier because they did not dwell in the past, whereas human beings for Nietzsche remember and therefore are unhappy. Nietzsche further wrote, that we must wipe the past from our minds, quote, if it is not to become the gravedigger of the present, end quote. And this, as Garber notes, is certainly a reference to Hamlet. Memory for Nietzsche is the gravedigger of the present. This is Nietzsche's view, and this, of course, is why Nietzsche also thought that repentance was pointless. Why worry about the past if it cannot be changed? If there is something we have done about which we are ashamed, There is only one possible approach for Nietzsche. The past should be forgotten if it is not to become the gravedigger of the present. But we know, of course, that this is not the Jewish view. The commandment, remember, was said first not by Hamlet's father, but first and foremost by the Torah itself. Zachor, remember we are constantly commanded. We are obligated to remember the past, and not only the glorious moments in our history but also the painful and sinful aspects in the experience of Israel. And one of the striking sources cited in the Talmud for this principle is from the book of Joshua, a passage which serves as a central source for the Passover Seder and which teaches us about the meaning of memory itself. Two speeches are recorded at the end of Joshua's life. In chapter 23, the great leader delivers an exhortation about Torah observance describing the reward for keeping the covenant and the punishments that would result for violating it. Verse six, be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the Torah of Moses, that you turn not aside from it to the right hand or to the left, that you come not among these nations that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, nor bow yourselves down to them, but cleave to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. That's Joshua's first message. But then in the next chapter, 24, Joshua offers more than spiritual instruction. He gives Israel a history lesson. And where he begins in the story that he tells is surprising. Verse 1, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the river in old time, Terach the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him through the whole land of Canaan and multiplied his children and gave him Isaac. And I gave to Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave to Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Joshua then goes on to describe the tale of the Exodus, but his speech is singular because unlike most others in the Bible about the Israelite past, it begins not with Abraham, but with Abraham's ancestors, with pagans, with the fact that the predecessors of God's chosen people were also idolaters. Only then does Joshua turn to Abraham, his becoming chosen, the birth of his people and the miracles of God. What Joshua is doing here is described in a Talmudic phrase. We begin with degradation and we end with praise. We begin by describing the degradation in our past, and we conclude with all that we owe God for the singular spiritual situation of biblical Israel. Joshua, in other words, is saying, to those that follow him, we may be the chosen nation, but we were also once pagans, like the rest of the world. And indeed, he notes, there were once those that were members of our ancestors' families, Terach, Nahor, Esau, who did not become part of the covenant, and whose descendants are pagans today. We need to remember this, Joshua is saying, so that we stay true to our calling, lest we become as we once were, and as those that were members of our family now are. This passage in Joshua is read at the Passover Seder. It is there in the text, because the rabbis of the Talmud stress that it must be there. The reader of the Haggadah intones, hayu avotenu hamakom Originally, our forefathers were idolaters, and now God has brought us close to Him to serve Him. After this opening, we read, at the Passover Seder, Joshua's words. We cite the opening of his speech as a centerpiece of the liturgy of the Festival of Freedom. We tell of Abraham being born into idolatry and abandoning it, even though this seems ostensibly to have little to do with the Passover story. We say it, we remember our past, because we seek to emphasize to ourselves and our children that our freedom from slavery was for a purpose, for our covenantal calling, and that our spiritual identity, if we are not careful, can be lost. Here, the Jewish meaning of memory emerges. For us, painful memories of the past are not erased. On Passover, we bear the memory of our bondage in mind and also the memory of our proceeding from paganism to monotheism, thereby allowing the remembrance of our suffering and also of our ancestors' sins, the memories of our past, to motivate us in the future. A people must learn from painful moments if it is to truly redeem the future. This point was made in a remarkable speech that was delivered at the dedication of the Flight 93 Memorial in Pennsylvania. A speech given not by one of the attending or presiding politicians, but by someone named Gordy Felt, who had lost his brother on September 11th. A book by William Thompson about the memorial describes Gordy Felt's remarks, quote, One of the last speakers that morning was Gordy Felt, who summed up the feelings of many family members by returning to the theme of memory. This is not an easy morning, said Felt with a sigh. The Flight 93 National Memorial is on its way to completion. The sacred ground is safe and secure so that the final resting place of the Flight 93 passengers and crew will be preserved for generations to come. Roads have been built, tributes collected, oral histories recorded, and thousands of concerned citizens join us as we mark the 10th anniversary of September 11th. Yet I can't get past the fact that we lost too much those 10 years ago. Nothing frightens me more than the phrase, time heals all pain. Do we really want to be fully healed? if the end result involves the complete elimination of the pain that links us to all that we lost that morning, Felt acknowledged the necessity for family members to move ahead with their lives. Yet added, let us not allow time to heal all of our pain. Let us never forget the horror of September 11th. This site will forever stand as a tribute to 40 individuals who, under the most horrific conditions, chose to stand as one and fight. Our painful remembrance honors them and keeps them alive in our hearts. End quote. For Judaism, what is true about painful memories of decades past is also true about memories of millennia past. In the Jewish faith, we keep alive the memory of the glorious moments of our history, but also the moments in our past of loss, suffering, sacrifice, and even sin. We remember our forebearer's sin of the golden calf. We remember the sins that brought about the destruction of the temples. We recall our failures. And, as in Joshua, we remember that our predecessors were once pagan, just as we remember the bitter suffering of our ancestors' enslavement in Egypt. The theologian Gilbert Mylander described how, when he was a member of the President's Commission on Bioethics, they heard from physicians who discussed the possibility of medication that could help inhibit the retention of painful memories. Mylander reflected how one could indeed imagine the benefits of such treatment but he also wonders if this is the biblical approach to memory and to our humanity. Quote, Remember the ancient Israelites are commanded by their Lord. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Even the memory of their bondage, Mylander continued, is not to be erased, but rather drawn into a story that by God's power and grace is transformed into one of redemption. End quote. And it is with the words of Mylander in mind that we can understand why it is so significant. That the words of Joshua are referenced at the Seder, because what follows after Joshua's description of Israel's history is a choice that he places before Israel in chapter 24 of his biblical book. Moses, at the end of his life, had informed Israel that they faced a choice between life and death. Joshua, coming to the end of his life, presents Israel with a choice as well whether to remain singular, loyal to God's covenant or to return to what they were before Abraham found God. Verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amori in whose land you dwell, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is who brought us up in our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way in which we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. Joshua, of course, does not mean here that Israel should really choose whichever path it desires. Rather, he is using both glorious and painful memories in order to motivate the Israelites. And Jews throughout their history, citing Joshua at the Seder, were essentially saying that despite persecution and exile, we, the Jewish people, are choosing to remain loyal to our calling. They are saying essentially, as Joshua did to Israel, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Judaism then approaches. Memory differently, perhaps, than Shakespeare's play Hamlet. Hamlet is a tragedy, a tragedy of a prince driven mad by memory. The full title of the play is actually not Hamlet, but rather The Tragical History of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. But for the way Jewish history functions, the story of our people can never be summarized as a tragical history. It is, of course, a story with much destruction and suffering, as well as much failure and sin. But It is one that begins with Abraham's discovery of God, that continues with redemption in Egypt, a story which will end, we believe, with a redemption that is yet to come. Rabbi Sachs has famously said that if Jewish literature does not have something akin to Greek or Shakespearean tragedy, if indeed the very word in modern Hebrew for the genre of tragedy is tragedia, because Judaism never had a word for such a form of literature. This is because hope and faith lie at the heart of the Jewish approach to memory and the prophetic perspective. Or as Reisachs put it, Judaism is the principled rejection of tragedy in the name of hope. Thus, even the most seemingly tragic passages in the Torah, the curses, the descriptions of the exile, conclude with God's promise that he will remember his covenant with Israel. As Sax put it, for the Bible, Israel, quote, may experience exile, but one day it will return it may undergo the most terrible persecution but it will never have reason to despair and Sachs adds no fate is so bleak as to murder hope itself no defeat is final no exile endless no tragedy the last word of the story End quote. remember me remember me is indeed what so many figures from our history call out to us remember me is said by those who experience triumphs those that experience destruction and those that experienced sin and failure. But our response to the call of remember me is very different from that of the Prince of Denmark. For us, the memories of the past does not become the gravedigger of the future. It is what preserves our future. No people has made memory so central to its existence as much as the Jews. And in the end, that may be one of the reasons why we Jews have so much to remember why we continue to endure, linking past, present, and posterity. This is Mayor Soloveitchuk, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.